Hey everyone, welcome to episode, what is this, 185? Yeah, 185. This is what you get for not making a document. Well, I don't like making a document when we have a guest because we never run out of stuff to talk about when we have three people, so I, it just seems like a waste of effort. Anyways, Lee, <laughs> welcome to episode 185 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. We have a guest. <laughs> yeah. I was you getting to that. <laughs> uh, joining us today, we've got our friend Mike Braverman. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so for those of you who don't know about Mike Braverman, he is a, I don't know, it's kind of like silly to say you're a, a local player because if people paid attention to legacy of yore and stuff, and then at least they would know your name. But Mike is a local player, good friend of ours very strong technical magic player and like you know one of the one of the best legacy players that i know certainly mike you wanted to get on because you have been working on standard a lot lately and we thought that that would be a helpful thing yeah yeah i've been playing a lot of the scgs and grinding the miqs and had a pretty good run in the bash bros tournament a couple weeks ago so kind of in tune to it by a pretty good run, you mean <laughs> that you uh, Sean Hunter in the finals, <laughs> <laughs> which was cool because you know Sean's one of the longtime members of our Discord or Patreon, so it's really cool when y'all just like go to other tournaments and just crush them. <laughs> well, and especially cool because Sean has like magic tournament bridesmaid syndrome so seeing him actually get there when he's been, had consistent results is cool and then seeing uh the two of you guys in the finals was really neat so that made me happy to see thanks yeah and sean's like consistency levels are like definitely there like he's always placing pretty good in tournaments yeah yeah definitely you see his name a lot and he is a reliable uh source of a stream during the mana traders tournaments and we're not sure who to put on so yeah i think we i know at least i did told him we were really happy for him about that it's it's super helpful in people's stream it is yeah if you are in the mana traders tournament and you hop in the discord and you are willing to stream to us it is a, a big deal and we really appreciate all of the players that do but we are here today to talk about well, I mean, we have the Manageators tournament to talk about, so we should talk about Modern Sum, uh, and then we should probably get into Mike teach us teach us about standard, teach us the things we don't know. Yeah, sure. We've got a whole MPL and Rivals split weekend, um, and I watched a little coverage on that. So, yeah, I got to watch some of that too, as much as I could, since it was the same weekend as one of our tournaments, as seems to happen a lot. But we do the best we can. We should talk about modern because we had really the first like big modern tournament of the new post-ban modern. And we saw a lot, a lot of cool stuff and honestly, a lot of stuff that we just legitimately weren't expecting in any way whatsoever. Like death and taxes winning. Like death and taxes winning, like Mardu's stone blade being wildly successful in the tournament, you know, stuff like that. I don't I don't know how much of the tournament you got to catch, Mike, but it was definitely a wild one. 
Yeah, I hopped in a, a little bit. I was kind of honed in on the MIQ, but I caught a little bit, and I was like, man, this like modern looks fun. I kind of want to like get back online and try out some like humans nonsense or something. <laughs> yeah, like my my favorite part of the so we were coming into the like me and Collins and CCR and Chris were all like having breakfast before the morning of the show. And Lusasabi was one of the players in the tournament. And I looked at all his deck lists. I looked at all the deck lists the night before. And I noticed he was playing Mardu Stoneblade. And he had played like a Burgi Underworld Breach deck the previous month in the vintage tournament. And I really liked that list. And he got to the top eight. I was like team Lusasabi all the way. And then he registers like this dopey looking Mardu Stoneblade deck. And I was telling Colin, it's like, I I can't get behind it. I ugh. ugh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Mardu Stoneblade deck had two pilots in the tournament and between the two of them carried about an 80% win rate in matches. So <laughs> I, I felt the same way when I saw it. And I've seen people streaming this deck. And each time I've seen it, I've been like, this deck looks really dorky. And then they like get beat up by something. <laughs> And so I just, like, didn't have it on my radar as, like, a playable or very good modern deck. But, uh, I mean, Musasabi definitely showed us what was up. He beat a lot of different matchups with it, including beating Mill in the top eight. Which we didn't have him on camera for because Chris and I just thought it was going to be over really quick. Mill was just going to crush it. There wasn't that much more he could do. But apparently Kroxa is just super good. I, yeah, I mean, I guess it just didn't get surgical and it came into play. And then once the Kroxa is in play, I think Mill is in a lot of trouble. But I think it's not really supposed to end up in play. Yeah, if it hits on turn four, that could be pretty scary. Yeah, I think you just clock them real good. Mike, one of the things, one of the things that Mike is best known for is playing Death and Taxes and Legacy. Mike, we've teamed up with you a couple of when we used to be able to do team tournaments, uh, you are a legacy guy more than once playing Death and Taxes. You are definitely kind of a joy to watch play that deck, but Spider Space took down the modern tournament with modern Death and Taxes, and he also was very fun to watch play in the deck. I thought he played lights out, and his build was excellent for the weekend. That's awesome. Yeah, when I was watching spider spaces matches i was getting i i was thinking about it as a i'm getting serious watching mike braverman play legacy vibes right now <laughs> he was just playing very very well yeah and i like skyclave aberration is even a huge boost to the legacy version yeah i mean there were several spots where you know it, it just did a ton of work and there was one moment in was it the finals where it was like, what can he draw here? That's good. And then he drew Skyclave Apparition and then just had this like Skyclave Apparition Yori on Flicker Wisp cycle of turns going. You're, oh, OK. It turns out Skyclave Apparition was just the best possible draw in like all of Magic at this point and just ended up with his opponent having no board and then him just attacking for lethal in the air. Yeah, that was the, the last round of the Swiss, I think. Okay. Me and Collins were doing that one. We're like, what's the best draw here? And it was just obviously Skyclimb Impression because it was just a one-sided Wrath. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what should I tutor for in Legacy? It's like, oh, I'll just either get a Flicker Wisp or sometimes it's like, oh, now I'll just get a 
Guyclave Aberration and take out whatever I need to get rid of. Yeah, I mean, I imagine it's even better in Legacy because it's there aren't any permanents that cost four, more than four mana in Legacy, but there aren't very many of those in Modern either, so the card was really impressive. The real heads-up story from Spider-Space's list, though, was his four main deck Linvalas. Green-White Heliad was the most played deck of the tournament, Definitely kind of a rough matchup traditionally for kind of, you know, the dirtily type of deck that Death and Taxes is, but just had a lot of hate for them main deck. And I think it it clearly paid off really well. Yeah, just being able to lock out. It's nice, too, that it hits mana because it's it stopped Arbor Elf and Noble Herrick on multiple occasions, and it was just really good at that. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like a really good meta call. I think it did a lot for him. I, I saw him play it twice in the Swiss, I believe. And both times he drew Linvala, and it was basically game-winning. And the other recent addition to that deck is Archon of Emeria from uh, Zendikar Rising. We saw it be really good in Vintage, and then a month later we saw it... It's also pretty good in Modern, it looks like. Just makes opponent's lands come into play tapped. Uh, the Rule of Law effect... You know, it kept Spider Space in in a game where he was down like a billion cards because his opponent could only cast one spell a turn. So the huge advantage that his opponent was gaining like got almost entirely negated. It didn't quite pull that game out, but in other spots, the Archon really was was really good. It was pretty funny against Eldrazi Tron. The Archon would just make all the lands come into play tap because Eldrazi Tron has like two basics. Yeah, that and would. it would be like Ghost Quarter land or Tectonic Agiland or whatever it was, and then draw the Eldrazi Temple so they can play Reality Smasher, but oh, the Eldrazi Temple comes to play tapped, so we're not doing anything this turn. Go ahead. <laughs> I think the only thing that I don't like about the Death and Taxes deck is that you still have to play Leonin Arbiter, which is just not, not, not a card I'm a fan of. It feels really bad to draw a lot of the time, I think. It's like usually a 1 or a 10. It's not really in between. And honestly, for a white card in modern, that's not that bad. <laughs> right, if it can be a 10 sometimes, that's like <laughs> way overpowered for white cards in modern. Yeah, I I, I hated Leonard Arbiter for a long time. I still don't love it, mm -hmm. but I understand that it has its place, and it's like pretty good when it's reasonable. Yeah. So just to run down sort of the highly played decks and how they performed over the course of the weekend. Uh, Heliod was by far the most played deck, 30 of the decks in the tournament, about 12.5% of the tournament. So one out of every eight decks was green-white Heliod and was the most played deck and had a solid win percentage, fifty over 55% in our tournament. So not only was it heavily played, but most people didn't do their due diligence of showing up ready for Greenway Heliod. It's not super easy to show up ready for it because it does attack on a lot of different axes, which mm -hmm. is what makes it such a good deck, I think. Yeah. Right. I mean, not everybody can fit four Linvalas into their deck. And Tron is really like the only kind of natural predator of it that I, that like easily comes to mind. And I don't, you know, Tron was fine this weekend. Uh, it looks like it had about a 50% win rate in our tournament. But 
clearly you're not breaking the metagame by bringing Tron to a modern tournament, even with the last two years of cards banned out of modern. Yeah, sadly. Eldrazi Tron is the Tron deck that made it to the top eight. Yeah, and it had about the same win percentage as, as regular Tron, so I you know, I don't think you're really getting anywhere just by here's Chalice. Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of Eldrazi Tron, still. The Prowess decks Is it Prowess was the second most played deck, but I think if you add together all of the Prowess decks, you know, you get a decent proportion of the metagame, but they didn't do particularly well. You know, is it prowess was slightly under a fifty percent win rate. Mono red prowess, low representation. So you know those those numbers are not really that helpful. But it did not have a good win rate. The better thing to do with these things seems to be a shadow deck of some sort. Whether you're Jun Shadow or Rakdos Shadow, both of those had solid performances, uh, and I think are 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 decks that you should have in your arsenal if you're coming to a modern tournament. You should you should be understand how to play against those and give yourself the opportunity to play with them if that's the kind of deck you you like to play one deck that impressed me that kind of just always impresses me but no one ever plays it is uh tom ross's yagmoth combo deck Mm -hmm. like every time he shows up to a tournament he does pretty well in it like he just missed the top eight for this one by a match Mm -hmm. and the deck is really strong and fast like why don't more people play that deck i don't know i haven't played it so i can't tell you but maybe that like indicate that maybe just not enough people have tried it yeah it looks like uh basically the new infect deck and every time i like watch someone streaming it they're doing really well but i just don't see that many people playing it in tournaments yeah it's like pretty bad against the card graph digger's cage specifically Mm -hmm. because it it shuts off like 60 of your 75 cards (laughs) (laughs) and then everything else is just you're so fast, you're so consistent. You've got this like card advantage card in itself with Yogmoth. Like I, I want to play that deck just to understand why it doesn't tear up all the tournaments. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know it didn't top eight this, it didn't like tear this tournament up, but a match away from top eight is just being in cop eight contention all of a sudden. Right. And two people play that deck. You know, if half as many people as played Green White Heliod played this deck like who knows what would have happened in the tournament plus there's old ordered yagmoths coming out soon so it's like extra incentive to play yagmoth deck all right mike what are your thoughts on the old border time spiral cards we've seen so far uh so i i really like them uh i want to get definitely flicker wisp and palace jailer recently i just saw a lava spike and swiss spear so there's a lot of a lot of good ones to get I I really like the ones that, for some reason, like, them feeling natural is, like, a big deal to me for if I like them or not. So the ones that, like, have a named mechanic that is from New Border era, they, like, don't feel right to me. I don't like the Old Border Tassiger because it has, like, hybrid mana symbols on it, and, and it, it just doesn't it doesn't look great. But like Yogmoth looks so good to me because it's just like a pile of kind of unrelated abilities that are just supposed to represent like aspects of the character. And it feels like such an old world card design. That one really works for me. Like Thoughtseize works for me. 
Shriek yeah. Maw works for me just because it's like a really cool card and mm. like, but the fact that it says evoke on it like does make it feel a little weird. But mostly black cards because the the old black frame does look really good. I know the ponder kind of fits in that too. It's yeah, really nice. It's it's kind of weird to me. I don't know if all the like bonus cards have been spoiled or what have you, but like having Yogmoth the Modern Horizons one without the Modern Horizons Urza seems kind of weird because they're both just pile of ability cards right it would fit right at home in old borders they got to give us that whole mythic cycle that I made up with Season Pyromancer and uh, Ranger Captain I know a couple people wanted a Goyf in Old Art and I don't know if they actually did it well tomorrow's green uh, so the, they were recording it as all the red cards are spoiled or most of them so green is tomorrow, and I, I honestly would be surprised if Goyf is not there. Did they Have they done an old-bordered version of any Time Spiral cards? Because it is a little weird for if a card's in the set and also... I mean, I guess they could just not put Goyf in the set itself and just make it a, a time-shifted one. Oh, that's true. Goyf did come from actual Time Spiral. Well, hmm, future site, but yeah. Yeah, Time Spiral block. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would be cool if they did something with it, but... I don't know. It isn't seeing that much play right now in modern. I I have to assume Goyf is in either the the main set or the the time shifted part of the set. Like it'd be really weird not to get Goyf out of this. It also seems weird to divorce it uh, like the original art that it was printed in Time Square with from like the future frame. Like that's gonna be weird if that mm, happens. Yeah, when I look at it. Well, do you think they would use the original art? Or do you think they might use one of, might use the the new art? So this has happened with other future shifted cards. Like they spoiled bonded fetch the other day, which is just like some random looter, mm-hmm. but it's in a future border, and it's just a normal border in the set because there are no future borders. Yeah, but it it looked weird to me because I've been so used to seeing it with the future border. The ones that were the weirdest to me was uh. You know, the cycle of vanilla creatures from Future Sight that had, like, the full frame. So, like, Blind Phantasm and Massive Ghouls. And then, like, two core sets later, they just printed them as regular cards. And it just looks so bizarre. Because it's like, here's a card with half of the art that you know. Here's Blade of the Sixth Pride. But really, like, Blade Three and a Half Pride. Yeah, and they just, like, lost all the specialness about them. Because it's like, oh, wow, this is, like, a full art card that I got in a pack and it doesn't need a text box because it doesn't have text. And then they're just like, here it is with a text box. And it's like, I, I guess. like I know it's a common, but it's still weird. I got us off track by talking about uh, Old Border Yagmoth. <laughs> it's okay. We were going to have to talk about it at some point. Yeah, no, a lot of those cards are just really hyped up since that's like around when a lot of us started to play Magic. I know like seeing those old frames is really nice. Honestly, just seeing the Time Spiral reprints is like getting me going more than the old frame versions because I I love me some Time Spiral block. That is continues to be my favorite block in all of Magic. Yeah, I'm tempted to get a box and just set it aside for like a year or so <laughs> later when we can actually draft. <laughs> yeah. I honestly will probably do the same thing. I'll probably try to make like a cube so I can just keep drafting Time Spiral. Nice. Just like a set cube. Yeah, I I will certainly participate in that. Like I know 
Time Spiral block is the most navel gazy of all of the blocks of Magic the Gathering. But it, it's a it's a Magic the Gathering set that's like a love letter to Magic the Gathering, and that was weirdly comforting to me to like have and draft it was, and. It was the first Modern Horizons. Yeah. Right. Modern Horizons was just Time Spiral two. Yeah. And Modern Horizons was really fun. Like, the limited format, like, seeing all the random cards. Like, I really like Modern Horizons. For sure. And I'm glad they found, like, a really cool gimmick to sell the remastered. Because people love old frames. And I'm honestly not really among that group. I, I don't really care about them. <laughs> like, I, I think the black ones look really cool. And I like brown artifacts a lot. But the rest, I could just leave. <laughs> can get you chalices of the void <laughs> yeah i could the thoughtsies looks really good honestly yeah the thoughtsies looks right like and that just is the most important like does this card look right in the old frame like could it have come from the before times <laughs> should it have been printed in modern borders thoughtsies <laughs> no <laughs> should have been printed a while ago <laughs> one one really disappointing thing was you know somebody mocked up the enemy colored fetches with an old frame and kind of tried to pass it off but not really and it is kind of disappointing that they didn't do that because i think this would have been a really solid opportunity to reprint some fetch lands and putting them in the old like you're never gonna have as clear of a chance to put them in the old border which people would love especially because that lets people who care about this to you know complete their set of old border fetch lands so that feels like a missed opportunity to me. Also, they should just reprint cards all the time. Like the Thoughtseize we just talked about, that's a card that should be reprinted all the time. Right. That just should be printed all the time. Just any excuse you can get to print cards that are in demand, you should print. I, yeah, I agree with that. I guess we should talk about Lord of the Rings a little bit too, since we're this is like the, the section of the show we're on. Oh that is not where I thought you were going. <laughs> where did you think I was going? I was like standard or something. I don't know. Let's talk about Lord of the Rings. Talk about talk about. Yeah. I don't know. Mike, what are your what are your thoughts on the upcoming announced what what is it called? Universes? Oh, it's a name? There's a there's a name for the concept now of of, you know, third party IP magic things. It's like universes beyond or something like that. Like, I bought the Walking Dead Secret Layers mainly just because I like legacy humans. And I'm not that big of a fan of the show. I do like Lord of the Rings. And I definitely, like, own all the movies and stuff. But I'm just getting kind of burned out on them adding more, like, different stuff to magic. I'm not, like, like I hate it, but I'm, like, it's, like, I don't know if I'll buy it. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't react with, like, a visceral hatred to the idea of Lord of the Rings magic cards. Uh, it was actually really helpful having a discussion in the Discord, just talking about this with, with our listeners, and, and helped me, like, kind of understand other people's perspective on it and better understand, like, my feelings about it. I think that like, I like Lord of the Rings, and I think it certainly fits with magic much better than The Walking Dead does. So that's good. 
I think that it is really weird that wizards took the lesson from the Walking Dead secret lair, which is so apparently that was the best selling secret lair they've done so far. And it's kind of weird that they may have taken the lesson like, oh, yeah, people love it when we do other IPs and magic. That's why this sold so well when actually it just sold really well because it was mechanically distinct cards in a limited edition that you couldn't get anywhere else. So if you wanted a Rick, you had to buy that. And if you thought you might ever need a Rick in Legacy, you had to buy it or else you might miss out forever and that card might be $200 at some point. I was kind of hedging when I bought it because, I mean, I wanted to redeem it to play it online, but I was also like, I don't think this is going to go down in value, so I'm just going to get four of these just in case and get rid of them later if uh, they're not good, but it, it felt like I needed to go ahead and get them. Right, and, and I think if it were other cards reskinned with The Walking Dead, you wouldn't even have like thought about buying it, right? No, it was like, almost like playing them as like, off their stats like all right rick just does so much good stuff that i'll just like read the text on it and play it (laughs) (laughs) maybe get these altered so they're not walking dead cards anymore (laughs) you know they're they're not stupid but it is kind of weird the idea that like oh yeah walking dead did great let's see what else we can do like that's not why walking dead did great and i'm not like totally averse to the idea of like lord of the rings but I think the thing that does bum me out is this feels like a a pretty gigantic acknowledgement of like, yeah, the magic story kind of sucks. Nobody really cares about it anymore because we've mismanaged it into the ground and it's not fun or interesting. So it kind of doesn't matter. We'd be way better off just like making sets with other people's stories. And this feels like a, a kind of tacit acknowledgement of that idea and while i don't care about the story at all it's mostly because they haven't done anything to make me care about the story and i would really really like to i'd totally be fine with being a magic weeb if they like gave me that opportunity and like gave me a story and characters to get into and i feel like this is a clear indication that they're just never gonna bother doing that they, they just put in the barest minimum effort for so, so, so long. They just just gave up on it. Yeah. Like, I really enjoyed the story when it was uh, Kaladesh, Aether Revolt, Ixalan Rivals. Mm-hmm. That's when uh, people on Wizards got, like, time out of their day to, like, write the stories and, like, do it and put it on the website for free for everyone. And you just read it every week. Mm-hmm. And those were pretty good. That was, like, when Allison Lurz was doing it. And a, a whole host of writers... The main problem was, like, it's pretty clear it was more or less, like, a passion project for those writers. Because they wrote good stories, despite the fact that the backdrop was garbage. <laughs> like, yep. Kaladesh and Aethervolt have such a contrived, terrible plot. Like, the the plot, I'll just do it in a sentence. The plot of Kaladesh and Aethervolt is they wanted the Gatewatch to go find Tezzeret and Chandra's mom and stuff. And then fight Tezzeret for a little bit and he leaves. That's Kaladesh. Aethervolt is just them going against the government because they just needed a conflict for the second part of the block. It has it just like is complete arbitrary. Yeah, and has no 
impact on the larger story. No, not at all. It, like, Kaladesh is such a cool, happy place, and they're just like, all right, everyone's fighting all the time, we have to figure out why. That's where, like, where they started. All right. Which is kind of a failure of imagination, because you could totally have a Magic the Gathering set that it, it, there's not a war happening. There's just, here are the things that exist on this plane. Like, that would be fine. And the Rivals Ixalan story was all, literally all it was, was uh, Jason Vraska go find the immortal son. Vraska brings it to Bolas. That's it. And the whole story was just a romance novel between those two characters. It's like eight, ten stories, just a romance novel between those two characters. And it was actually pretty good because it didn't actually have anything to do with the like terrible plot. Sure. I mean, there's a lot you could do with the planeswalkers are stranded on a plane. Like that is a start to an interesting like turning your planeswalkers into something other than like a a, a a sad copy of the Avengers or Justice League or whatever superhero thing they were copying. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like for past many years, the only good things that have come out are, yeah, those individual stories showing like a small slice of something that's not really connected to the larger storyline. Cause like literally nobody cares about what Nicole Bolas was doing. Like who who cares, man? And the worst part is when they like try to make people care about the story. In Dominaria, Karn was there to grab the the bowl or whatever to get the Phyrexians to kill them. Like he was getting an atom bomb off Dominaria to drop it on New Phyrexia. That's his plot. Mm-hmm. And Dominaria was in 2018. We still haven't been to Phyrexia. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting on that still. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was that was why we went to Dominaria is because Karn was getting a thing from there to fight the Phyrexians and we just like don't know when we're going to go fight the Phyrexians again. Yep. Okay. Well, I mean, Vorinclex showed up, so... Yeah, that's why I'm kind of hopeful. I actually like Phyrexia a lot, yeah. but more of the aesthetic than the actual like lore or whatever. Well, I yeah, and see, that that is the thing is like I did like parts of the magic story from before like the the legacy storyline and stuff like the phyrexians are a neat kind of magic specific bad guy and the fact that like yogmoth their god emperor is a eugenicist is like oh neat like we have a real bad guy who has roots in like actual evil things in real life like we could do something with this and we just haven't in a very long time and i love stories like i i like all i do for fun besides playing magic is like read novels so it would be nice if i could do both at the same time yeah i used to keep up with it a lot more but and like i had an urza novel but lately in the last few years i just haven't even like i'm so lost when it comes to it <laughs> yeah I, I i feel the same way but on the other hand the next like upcoming set will have a whole trilogy and a ton of backstory books <laughs> all written like several years ago but they still hold up fine yeah written by a good author uh, it, and a whole language invented for the set so multiple yeah 
lots of people already cosplaying it, like have been cosplaying this stuff for 20 years because the thing we're talking about is the Lord of the Rings. So that as I far guess, as the set, I guess that's good. Goes like the set itself. I, I I'm probably fine with. It's the only weird thing will be like every time I see, like a golem card or whatever <laughs> it's always been on some like fan site that's a horrible mock-up of a card and it's every time i like see that kind of ip crossover i just cringe because all mm. all custom cards are like really really bad <laughs> yeah yeah hopefully they get the art a little better on these than the walking dead ones <laughs> yes Oof. yeah i mean rick is actually like the ugliest magic card to me it is the ugliest of all of the magic the gathering cards so I, I don't know i cannot stand that whatever sprite dragon is it's the godzilla card perfect pet or something mm. that's that thing is so ugly yeah okay and so here's here's a thing too is that i i was thinking about those godzilla cards a little more and kind of why i don't like them and i i think that this is probably a problem that doesn't really extend to the Lord of the Rings things because it's a different thing. But the skins on the cards that are different cards, I struggled to remember Gem Razor's name the other day because, like, I was watching a match and somebody played the the skinned Godzilla version of the card, and I, like the. Uh, and for a lot of the cards, like the skinned version is the one that always gets cast against me on arena. So it like screws it up in my mind. And I like think of it as the Godzilla card. And that's not really what I what I want out of my game. And it's like so weird that the Godzilla stuff is like, for me, indelibly part of a time in Magic the Gathering at this point. So I don't know that Lord of the Rings will be the same thing. Uh, I don't know if that's a thing that's specific to the skins or whatever, but... It, it definitely feels really weird with the Godzilla cards. I know, like, speaking of the skins, someone played a Assassin's Trophy against me the other day in a league, and it was basically, like, just, like, a black box with, like, a squiggly line in it that <laughs> said the name of the card, and I was like, what? What is happening? And then I was like, oh, okay. Like, like... <laughs> I, I guess that's an Assassin's Trophy. <laughs> yeah, when the, the Secret Lairs like versions of those cards came out online and i saw them. It, it took me a long time to figure out if it was a glitch or not <laughs> yeah and the the kaldheim metal lands too that just aren't lands at all like there's no land on these lands and there's also skulls on all of the lands which seems which feels illegal that's for swamps <laughs> yeah that's for swamps there's not mountains on all of the lands or fireballs on all of the lands. Ah, just being crotchety though. If people like them, then like, who am uh, I to like, if they put snow lands from cold snap on arena, like that's something I would snap by. But... I was talking about that the other day. I, cause I wanted to see like what the snow lands you could get on arena are. And it's just the call time ones and the modern horizons ones, hmm. which you can buy the modern horizons ones, which I don't really care for. I think it's pretty popular. Or those are pretty unpopular. Yeah, I actually like And the you can't ones. get the secret layer ones, which came out after Arena did. Hmm. There's a set of secret layer snowlands by Alana Damer. Oh, right. Oh, they're very good. Yeah. They're just not at Arena. Huh. That's too bad. That's kind of like 
my only opportunity to play with those lands, honestly, would be to play with them on Arena. I'd probably buy those. I like those. Yeah, I'd probably buy those, too. Well, now should we talk about Standard? Sure. Yeah. We're already on Snowlands. <laughs> there are a lot of monocolored snow decks doing very well in Standard. <laughs> because Faithless... Uh, Faithless? Haven Land, it's just like mutable levels of good right now and maybe just in general like that land is so broken with uh robber of the rich and uh the javier beaver champion it just does so much work right now yeah i mean even without any synergies it just whacks for four after an extinction event or shadows verdict or whatever and then it's just also got a few cute things from all having all creature types that uh, yeah that's it's one of the best cards in standard right now for sure yeah. my personal favorite is when you have magda and you get to tap it for a treasure <laughs> <laughs> magda has not broken through and seen as much play as we kind of a- assumed it would early on but this was the back of my head when we were evaluating the card because like i re- it really wants the dwarves to be good i know they have them effect there just aren't any yeah yeah, I tried it out and it was like okay, but like you're usually on three to four Rimrock, and I don't think it's gonna be better than that. Mm-hmm. Not until Lord of the Rings set. Not yeah, not until that set comes out. <laughs> yeah, probably a lot of dwarves in the Lord of the Rings set. Hopefully, a playable one drop to really break Magda wide open. Yeah, so last time we talked about Standard, we kind of had seen the progression of Sultai had gotten really, really popular. And then in sort of response to this deck full of seven mana spells, people started playing a lot more aggro decks, mono red and mono white chief among them. Uh, But the Adventures deck had also gotten much more aggressive and become a more combo-y thing with four four gold maw dragons and the the fury cards unleash fury and kazil's fury to give it that sort of like really quick finish so a lot of life total pressuring in the face of like people having shark typhoon and four ultimatums and a seven mana time walk and stuff in their deck and i am curious to have mike get your thoughts on sort of like where the format has gone in the week or so since then and like what the the MPL and rivals league weekend results kind of mean for the format going forward yeah sure and just to tie it in I also um when I was playing in the uh, MIQ this weekend I went ahead and signed up at the very beginning of the day and then you don't have to submit your deck list right away so I waited to look at that meta game breakdown before I submitted my deck. I mm-hmm. had tested a couple of Urion decks, but I was pretty close to locked in on Mono Red. So after seeing all the deck lists there, I did notice a lot of Adventures decks. So I went up on the uh, Crone Wars in my sideboard to help out there. But it looked like the overall meta in the MPL was a little bad on Mono Red, but it was kind of starting to churn, like, going into the weekend. It was, like, an unknown equity for the players there. They didn't 
know what their opponents were going to play. So I know like LSV and Ali and some other people had some pretty bad results with Mono Red. But I think like John Roth and some other people might have done okay with it. But it was only like 30% on the weekend overall. Yeah, I know like after a day, LSV noted like, all right, well, my team had two decks and the one I played had a 30% win rate and the one the rest, the other half of my team played had a 66% win rate. So I probably picked the wrong one for this weekend. So yeah. it, it did definitely seem like, you know, the Sultai decks were a lot lower to the ground. The A, a lot of decks were built with mono red in mind in particular. Um, I don't know how the MIQ felt if it was unfriendly to mono red or if, uh, you know, I, I'd be interested in hearing how that went. Yeah, so I felt like day one, I I definitely felt it was really favored. I played against um, a white weenie deck in the early rounds, and that's close, but I was able to beat that. And then I uh, 7-0'd the first day. There were a couple of other decks that I don't think were in the MPL, but also the morning of the MIQ, Crokies decided to audible to a Squirrels Naya Adventure deck. Oh, that's we wanted weird. to talk about that for a second. I uh, He proceeded to make day two really early in the morning with that deck, and then a lot of people were just copying that. And it's basically like tries to get as many creatures in play um, before you get the squirrel guy down and then draws a bunch of cards. Fortunately, when I played against it on day one, at least, my uh, Crowan Wars helped out and some of the people piloting it had just copied his list. So I could almost like open deck list it if I just went to his Twitter page. It it did beat me on day two, though, when people were more figuring it out. But the the metagame for day one of the MIQ felt like that, a little bit of team returns. And I think I only had to play against Adventures once, but I was able to get through it on the first day. The second day got a little tougher for Mono Red. I was, at that point, I was up to three Akron Wars instead of two, but I think I maybe ha should have just audibled off the, the deck. I, I did start off 4-0 there, and you do have to run pretty hot in those, and I was mulliganing in, in a couple of the later rounds, but even the Sultai deck I faced, it felt like it was tuned more for aggro. That was one of my losses, and I lost to the, the Squirrels deck only on day two, and the pilot was pretty good, and once they had like refined and tested the list from day one, it felt a little tougher. And then a, an adventures deck knocked me out. So maybe, maybe I should have played something different on day two when it was starting to make that churn kind of like the way the NPL started to hate on mono red going into the weekend as well. Yeah. That dynamic of being able to switch your deck halfway through a tournament and trying to predict like, is the meta for day two going to be significantly different not just because certain decks would have gotten knocked out the way a normal tournament would be, but also how many people are going to also audible and, and pick something out in, in anticipation of a, you know, what happened the day before or a new meta, you know, you've got to figure out what level of that to be on. Yeah. And I did play against rogues once on 
like the start at A2 and there's some leveling there where that person may have just leveled themselves too much because I was like, oh, this is a great match to start off the second day. So you never really know like what matchups you're going to get anyways, but it is kind of like like seeing how badly Monored was doing in the MPL during day one, it may have been assigned to Audible there to like, I think Adventures might have been a good choice on day two, but that's also somewhat biased on the decks I played against too, so it's hard to say. Well, you were you said you were considering Yorion decks, or you tested some of those before you went to the weekend? Yeah. Or is that just like not a choice that you would make going into day two instead of Monored or Adventures? So I like... I, it's kind of hard to really give like up a deck that you just seven owed with was another thing too like and I also think I had gone like eight oh in the Bash Bros tournament. I think I was like drawing like reasonably well and also like not really making any mistakes, but like it just felt like the deck was really good and even on the the latter when I was testing uh, Yurion, I think I played against like Logan Nettles twice on Mono Red, and we would go like three games, but he would like, I mean, he's an insane player, but he would just crush me usually, and I'd be like, man, maybe I should just keep on Mono Red and not play these Yurion decks. Even though this weekend, now I think they're really well positioned, they just can't, like, they have to have all the mono red and mono white hate cards because those decks just hit so fast. Yeah, the the speed at which this meta like reacts to things and switches around, especially during things like MIQ Weekend, where people are really incentivized to try to get on top of the metagame because there's something substantial at stake. It it's totally different from Paper Magic, where you have like discrete weekend to weekend developments. Uh, we're just not in that era of of magic anymore. Like, not at all. No, like, just seeing, like, Crokies have, like, 2K viewers and that morning of, like, changed the entire meta of the MIQ. It's, like, the, like, era we're in right now. <laughs> yeah, that that is another thing, too. Yeah, the, the power of the individual creators with a big platform is phenomenal. The... The blue-red tempo deck is a <laughs> terrible deck. Like, it was fine power level-wise at the very beginning of the format where you could get somebody with efficient removal and some counter spells. You know, people continue to play that deck. It doesn't beat anything, and it only... The, there's one good card in the deck. If you can land a gold maw dragon, then the deck becomes really good. If you don't land a gold maw dragon, like, your cards aren't just, just aren't good enough. It doesn't matter, though. People will keep playing it because it was the LSV deck at the beginning of the season, and his influence is so massive that it, like, helped shape the metagame in ways that still, like, ripple out. The fact that Crokies can play that, like, Clarion Spirit Toski deck, and then that day... Hundreds of people are bringing it to the MIQ weekend. That's nuts. That's crazy. Yeah, I was like, I think I I played against it at least two. It might have even been three times day one, and Jeez. it was like it's not even the best matchup for Mono Red, but I think the best thing I had going for me were people had just copied the list, and since it was the tournament was the same day, they didn't have time to test it really. Did you notice them like not playing super well against you with it? Uh, so the person i played day two like played it 
pretty much perfectly down to a T, but I felt like day one, there were a couple of small mistakes and like stuff where like a Crone Wars were better than they should be, or like I got they maybe attacked a little too aggressively. I wouldn't say like they played terribly, but I felt like I had a little more like windows to get damaged through and stuff day one than like if they had like played the deck on the ladder for like a week or something. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, I don't think that that deck has a, a a very big future in standard. No staying power? Yeah, I don't think it has a ton of staying power. But yeah, the practicing with a deck is really key when you're going to take it against some relatively high-level competition like you'll find in the, the the qualifier weekend yeah and i guess on the flip side if there were people that were playing it pretty well then they might catch some people off guard the other way so but i don't know like like you said i don't think that deck's gonna be a standard main say so i, I will say about these like kind of flash in the band decks is that they are like pretty good as long as they have a good plan, even if they're just terrible decks. Mm -hmm. Like, because your opponents aren't going to be aware of what you're doing, as long as you have some synergy that works, like the Is a Tempo deck had the no one knows what the new cards do going for it, which was nice. Uh, this one has Clarion Spirit with Toski, which I, I actually really like any interaction with Clarion Spirit. I think is pretty nice to follow up, especially if you're doing like all runs Epiphany stuff with it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a good synergy. And the power that I think helps Crokey's is he, he's trying out these new stuff and people don't really know what to do while he's playing through these tournaments for the first time. And then by the time he wins the like seven of the tournament, he publishes his list. Everyone knows about it. The deck ha is not super powerful because now everyone knows about it. So it just like falls apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't think that's like a sign of the deck being initially bad you know sure sure yeah. I, right and i'm not saying that it's bad i'm just saying like i don't think i think that it's relatively easy to adapt to very bad against skyclave apparition like has like some pretty significant weaknesses i it same thing with like the teamer turns deck like i spotted it after it won a challenge i thought oh i'll play this and i was just crushing people left and right with it because people didn't really know what to do about it a, a day or two later and it was just like yeah everybody understands what's going on here this deck is not a special thing it's a deck now so now the quest continues for the next special thing <laughs> yeah i know i've been playing like a little bit of straight uh blue white urion just for fun like re leveling back up to mythic and I think I saw you playing a Yurion deck earlier, Chris, too. So I did. I forced you to watch like 20 minutes <laughs> of me playing that deck before we could start recording. <laughs> so Yurion might be the way to go to beat up on all these creature decks. I have a, a list that I've been playing, and I definitely am not going to tell anybody like this is the deck you're supposed to be playing in standard right now. But I have applied some pretty specific lessons to the deck that I think are important for understanding and attacking standard right now basically like you're gonna play against the aggro decks you're gonna play against mono red and you're gonna play against mono white and loading your deck full of like removal spells 
and then some ways of like getting card advantage or stabilizing or whatever like you're not going to beat these aggro decks by casting a bunch of removal spells and then like making a big shark or whatever like they just have these recurring damage sources these ways of getting a, a lot of damage through from not a big board faceless haven is a big part of that but also just like if they have an annex and five mana and then they put an ember cleave on the annex that's a, a billion damage so you, you can't you count yeah it's so many you're dead every time so it was effectively a billion damage um so what i found is like you just can't rely on keeping their board clean as the way like like against other, some sometimes against aggro decks you can kill the important stuff and then the little things like get negated by your planeswalker or whatever by your planeswalker plusing and then they just kind of don't matter that's not really the world we're in like they'll find a way to kill you so what i have been playing is like a bant yorian enchantment based deck with enigmatic incarnation but basically the point of that deck is that i found that kind of the two strongest cards against the aggro decks were skyclave apparition obviously and archon of sun's grace and this deck it just is really dense on both of those cards because you can tutor them out pretty easily with Enigmatic Incarnation. Archon of Sun's Grace just does a really, really good job of turning the game around. You gain some life off of it. You make some blockers. They like can't kill you, and then they're locked out of the game in a way that they wouldn't be if you're just trying to cast extinction events and get card advantage and then eventually kill them with an ultimatum. I, I think like that's a big thing is figuring out how your deck turns things around in a meaningful way before having to get like you don't really want to have to cast a cultivate in order to unlock your powerful spells against the aggro decks because you might take eight damage on your cultivate turn and then you're probably going to die um and also so sultai isn't a great matchup for this kind of deck but the sultai decks have had to shrink way down to keep up with the aggro decks and so if they are not as heavy on seven drops, then you have a better chance. Like if they're not an ultimatum deck, then you're actually way better at going over the top via enigmatic incarnation. But most of them are still ultimatum decks, just not quite as supersized as the ones built for the mirrors have been with like a bunch of shark typhoons or something like that. But like that's my main way of approaching the format is like understand how the aggro decks operate and and how to beat them and for me it's skyclave apparitions and archon of sun's grace i'm not sure exactly what other options are out there but i'm sure there are some just like understand that that is what you need i also think it's important to call out like how to beat them is more of a strategy than a card yeah kind of like against uh graveyard decks like how to beat them isn't really torvald script <laughs> right like that's a card that does something but you're, you're good you actually need a plan to beat them like your your hate cards just not going to be enough mm -hmm. like you can't doom blade all modern creatures yeah you can't just put like four shatter the sky and four um doom wake grass and be like i've got eight sweepers i can't lose because sometimes <laughs> they kill you on turn four you have to have like omen of the sun and birth of Miletus type stuff if you really want to answer the aggro yeah. Or you like sweep them a bunch, but you've gotten too low because your sweepers cost a little too much, and all of a sudden they just like stomp you, play their bone crusher, you have to kill it, take two more, and they stomp you again. Yeah, yeah. they just faithless <laughs> haven you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just for you, 
without casting a spell. Sorry, you knew you were dead. Like, you didn't even have to pass the turn. You could have just scooped. So, yeah, right. The strategy, and, you know, I'm I'm naming Skyclave Apparition and Archon specifically, but the strategy that those cards are pursuing is you need to be on board with better stuff than the aggro deck can present. You kill their most important things, and then you just put into play things that are good enough. If you're not putting things into play then they're going to kill you eventually. Like a 4-3 isn't that powerful, but a 4-3 after the board gets swept when your opponent is at 4 is, you know, the most powerful thing you could have. It's just not good if your opponent has several 2-2s. Two so that's that's the plan that I pursue against those decks. Yeah, really getting through the early turns against them is pivotal. <laughs> yeah. What's what's your like blue white for fun Yorion deck like like is it like a control deck like a yeah. range deck? So um, this is actually kind of a callback to I think the first MPL rival split weekend when a lot of people just played blue white Yorion, and they thought it was really good, but it ended up getting crushed by Rogues. And my theory is Rogues is like borderline playable right now, so I just like. I, I kind of enjoy a good blue-white control deck as well, so I was like, oh, I'll just um, put all these, like, glass casket, couple, like, Omen of the Suns, get the Archon in there, since it's 80 cards anyways, throw a Dream Trawler in, um, get your Sharks, couple counter spells. I think I'm on five Sweepers right now, four Shatters, one uh, Doomwake, but... Uh, or I think it's Doomstar, but either way, it, it's a pretty fun deck, and I've already a- almost up to Diamond on the ladder with it just dirtling and having fun with it. It's I don't know if it's a Tier 1, but I might give it a try in one of the SCG qualifiers this weekend just because it kind of feels like... I always like the decks, even when they're not good, but the, the ones that feel like pre-2018 Magic... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just because it like feels like you're like kind of on a different level. <laughs> you don't get to play your one drop that draws you four cards, but you have to play like twenty of a certain type of card in your deck. You have to work for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you are also like you know yours is a little more traditional control deck than mine is. Uh, like my my build originally had sweepers, and I realized that they're just not that good in in my deck, so I cut them for more utility enchantments and stuff so yours is a little more controlling but you've also acknowledged like i need ways of being on board not just removal spells like early on put an 04 into play to block a season Blade, and then at some point start making lifelink pegasi and let let those be a big part of my plan yeah i think mine like hard targets aggro and adventure decks really well and then it kind of boards more for Yurion decks and um, Rogues is going to be tough no matter what, even though I do have uh, an Elspeth in there. If they mill that, it could help out. <laughs> Actual Planeswalker Elspeth. Yeah, just, oh, yeah, just a one of. I think it's actually <laughs> got moved to the sideboard too, but there's some matchups where it's good other than Rogues too. I got to say for the adventure decks, Skyclave Apparition against the decks where all of their meaningful threats are three plus mana is really good. You just yeah. like 
play your draw. If you have a Skyclave Apparition in your hand, you're like, just not taking damage for a while with this hand, I guess. Skyclave Apparition is what Flame Tonkavu felt like when it was in Standard. Yeah. They're very similar. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's finally starting to see some play now that um we've gotten through some of the bands and stuff. Because I know when it, it first got spoiled, I was like, a, I want four for legacy taxes, but that's just like a really good card. <laughs> yeah, I think we both thought it was very good. And early early on in the format, I guess semi-early on after Omnath was banned, people were playing like a bunch of green-white Orion decks. That was like the thing for a little while. And I was full aboard this kind of thing that Britian train. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it always hit Uro. So there was there was yeah. a spot for it even then. Uh, also yeah, but... hitting uh, Oko, uh, technically, <laughs> yeah. that, I guess in Legacy, but not since Oko left Standard a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, for a little while in Legacy, <laughs> but no longer. Did you see, uh, there's a picture going around Twitter that was, uh, it, there's like a meme right now, which is March 1st, 2020 and March 1st, 2021. It's like a pre-post-pandemic thing. But someone just did a, a like deck list image of teamer adventures from a year ago and then this <laughs> the second picture was the ban list from today it's just like most of the cards in the deck just like the entire deck <laughs> yeah uh, what else should we talk about mike do you have any thoughts on since you are the person i know who is the most uh legacy oriented do you have any thoughts on the legacy bands I, you know we tried to talk about them as best we could but I feel like you may have thoughts on them that we did not have. Yeah, sure. So I've actually, I think I've only played about, I played two leagues since the bannings, kind of just for funsies. Uh, and the other weekend, I tried the first one with Eldrazi. And it was kind of nice to see that deck come back into play. But I really had a little more fun when I fired up Death and Taxes again. And getting to play uh, Skyclave, like we've mentioned numerous times already, is really nice. And then also, like, not having to worry about, like, Oko just being really annoying and all that is pretty cool. And uh, I 4-1 that league, and it was kind of funny. The one deck I lost to, I think Lee might like, it was, like, a retro Thopter boundary deck. Where... Is this the Ninja deck or the different one? Uh... I can't remember if there's like an actual name for it because I've only played against it like that one time, but they were basically sacking their uh, ornithopters to turn them into four fours like on turn one. It was like a really ag aggro deck and it also had, it did have ninja ninjutsu in it as well. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like the ninja deck that goes around. It's funny because I like to see people like fall in and out of that deck all the time. And whenever I saw a tweet actually today, Someone was like, oh, I played Ninjas for the first time in a long time. I forgot how just insane Retrofitter Foundry is. <laughs> yeah, that's a very... <laughs> I don't remember whose tweet that was, but I'm like, oh, yeah, that card is just nice. Also, I played against that deck for the first time a long time ago, and I was like, wow, what a neat deck. And then since then, I've had like five different occasions of somebody telling me about, yeah, I played against this deck the other day. So it had like... 
like ornithopters and like retrofitter foundry and like the one drop changeling from modern heises i'm like that's the ninja's deck just like everybody gets like one first experience of it and it pops in and out at such random intervals that like those experiences still happen like a year and a half later like i i, I played against this deck I, I bet you're gonna tell me about the ninja's deck <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't show up a lot <laughs> yeah it, it it's like not even that bad a deck it won a challenge not too long ago and then everyone immediately dropped it because that's like the tradition with this deck i guess you just like play it for one event and then you're done for like six months yeah well, and, and when you do have that first experience of oh i played against the ninjas deck like you usually lose the, the story is usually like yeah and then i lost that match so yeah depending on how fast they start they can just kill you on like turn three or something they've still got i think days and force in their deck as well so it is a little like you have to have like a plus b countering with c but if you have it it's just so hard to beat <laughs> yeah for sure let's see man we talked about a lot talked about yeah. modern standard lord of the rings we could do we could do a question if you want to wrap it up yeah do we have one i i for completely forgot to ask <laughs> but i was smart enough to ask like half an hour ago into recording great uh and we got like four people asking all the same thing they just want us to rank the old frames by color including artifacts lands and gold Ooh, cards okay let me so we can we can we can take turns <laughs> uh, i don't want to go second though i have to either go first or last okay so is this like pick your favorite in each color or no, pick. You gotta rank them. Yeah, just rank the rank. like frames. Like, what do you think the best old frames? Are? Okay, I know I'm gonna be a little biased towards death and taxes with with the uh, flicker wisp and the palace jailer. Just look amazing to me. And then I guess the the red, um, like I just that lava spike I just saw today looks really nice in red. And then I guess the the black, um, like the yog moth and all that looks pretty good and then blue with uh ponder and I, there's i haven't really seen as many green but i'd probably almost say colorless than green if that counts yeah yeah i'd say it was I, and i mean that is a little more interesting to point out like the the individual cards that you like particularly the as far as for me like the ordering of the frames i think that like black is a pretty clear winner. The old frame with the swamp bubbles in it does look really good. I, I won't put artifact second because Lee, I know that you, the old artifact frame is a is a big thing for you. The old white frame is not good. Like you just kind of can't see anything on it. It's just like really washed out, and I think it really like messes up your perception of the art too because it's like this white text on this white border with like kind of illegible texture and that kind of like washes out the art on the cards i think the the old white frame is actually like uh actively detrimental to card appearance old red frame is pretty cool with the like cracks in it and stuff i, I think the most important thing about the old frame cards though is the graveyard active cards having the tombstone in the upper left corner that's my favorite thing about this whole process like i I don't super care about old frames, but 
I have to get these stinkweed imps with the tombstone on the top left corner. It's just too cool. It's it's just nice. I'm so glad that they they put the the tombstones on there. There's a past in flames too with the yeah the little tombstone icon. And it's it's kind of cool too. I like that. Yeah, and you only need like one or two of those, so might as well pick it up. Uh, I do need to get a whole playset of those stinkweed imps, and I'm not super looking forward to paying for those, but you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I know the thought seizes are going to be very painful to get. <laughs> I got the ugliest thought seizes that they've made, and I'm just probably going to keep yeah, using those. I'm not sure if I'll at least see. I also have the very ugly thought seizes, mm-hmm. but I can't stand casting them. <laughs> so I, I'm going to have to upgrade them at some point. Yeah. It is the gap between that Thoughtseize and the original art Thoughtseize is just so vast that it's it's definitely one that I've considered shelling out a premium for the even though it, the price difference is also large. It's not that bad because I was looking at it today. It's like four bucks more. Oh really? I, I yeah, it, it used to be huge, but it, they've reprinted Thoughtseize enough that it's not that bad. Gotcha. Huh. Yeah, when I when I picked up Thoughtseizes several years back. It was the the fairy art was easily twice as much as the versions that I bought, so I didn't. So as far as me for old frames, thankfully this is a preference question, so I can be wrong in most mm-hmm. people's eyes. But I don't like the old frames pretty much at all. Mm-hmm. I think the new ones are just way better. But there are some things I like about them, like the, the brown artifact frame. I love. I think it's so cool, mostly because gray artifacts are kind of boring, and the text box of the artifacts in the old frame is like kaleidoscopy multicolored. Mm-hmm. So, which is kind of subtle. Like you have to be looking for it to see it, but you notice it when you like read as many artifacts as I do. And it is cool. I like it. Uh, number two is the, the lands. I like old bordered lands a lot more than new bordered lands. Yeah. Number three would be like black cards. I think the aesthetic is just there. Maybe it's because the Phyrexia stuff was so pervasive in early magic. It just feels right Mm -hmm. for the old frames to be like kind of creepy and neat. Sure. And the rest of them all suck. They're garbage. (laughs) I don't like them at all. Uh, The white one's easily the worst, like for the reasons you said. Uh, I think the gold one is also really bad and doesn't get enough hate. (laughs) Yeah, it's like actually low resolution. Like, yeah, it's it's bad. Like there's a problem with the texture file that they used to make the wavy gold it's bad it looks bad like pull up famous gold card spirit monger it's been printed a bunch but you can get the one from apocalypse i think it's apocalypse Mm -hmm. Uh, i picture it in my head look at that card and then look at the one from iconic masters i think the iconic masters one looks way better it's in the new frame granted so but it has like legible text (laughs) The gradient on the borders are green and black, so you know what color it is at a glance. Whereas all the gold cards look exactly the same, whether they're green, black, or blue, red, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Gold gold borders are just not good, but they're like very nostalgic, which I respect people's opinions for like nostalgia. That's like a thing you can't get rid of. But I do not like the gold border. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember I may have told this story on the podcast before, but I remember as a relatively small child seeing the spirit monger spoiler like on the wizard's website maybe or 
it must have been on the wizard's website uh and calling my best friend to like tell him what this card did because it seems it, it was so powerful i mean it, from that era it is a card it's like so powerful yeah. and i i proceeded to like splash it in a bunch of my bad standard decks at the time because i just always wanted to be casting spirit mongers nice. yeah perfect i mean you can change its color yeah i mean that was like it wasn't super relevant because it was already black, which was the best color to be at the time because half of the removal spells didn't kill black creatures. I think all almost all of the removal spells didn't kill black creatures, actually. Well, like nothing killed a black 6-6, six, six, basically. There's just like no way to get rid of that. Except Wrath of God. Wrath of God cleanly took out all your five mana creatures and, and rendered them like mostly unplayable. Yeah, I remember like playing against Wrath of God like casually just way back and like seeing it be like getting kind of frustrated when my friend would just like get rid of all my like big expensive green green creatures <laughs> <laughs> for four mana. I know, it's like cheating. <laughs> Man, I love it when people tell stories about when they were casual playing like casual magic and which cards were like good against them. Because for me, it's always so bizarre because I'd never played. I've just never played like conventional decks. Kitchen table. Oh, yeah. It's always like. <laughs> no, like even with, even my kitchen sixes. table, like casual thing. I remember I had a, a deck where I was just trying to ramp stuff out and then rude awakening someone to just kill them in one turn. <laughs> and that's like my casual. That's That was my casual phase. I wasn't trying to like play creatures and then get blown up by Wrath of God. That just didn't enter my mind. I wanted to win in a convoluted way. I mean, you can imagine, though, how Wrath of God would be just a completely unfair card to most children. Oh, I, yeah, of course. Anything else to say about Borders? About The Walking Dead? Lord of the Rings? Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> you know, all the Magic the Gathering topics. All our favorite Magic the Gathering topics. Yeah. No, I just can't wait. I, I messaged you this joke, but I'll tell it for Mike. I can't wait for the, uh, the Harry Potter tie-in for Strixhaven. Even after we've all got rid of the like Therese Nielsen's of magic, uh, that'll be like peak what Wizards is going on right now. <laughs> I I did appreciate I think Daniel Fournier's tweet that was like, "Do you think Legolas Agro will have a good Space Marines matchup?" Because we're also getting we didn't mention it. We're also apparently getting forty k, which probably that's just a secret layer rather than a full expansion, but we don't know I that think- yet. I think Chris said it was a commander product. Oh. But I I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not going to worry too much about the products until they announce them in a digestible manner, like in an image form, preferably, because that's how <laughs> I just remember things now, I guess. <laughs> until Gandalf gets banned. <laughs> I, I was thinking, like, yeah, the one good thing about the Lord of the Rings set, I mean, the, you know, the, there's probably many good things, and I'm sure a lot of people, like, are really going to appreciate the stuff we get out of the Lord of the Rings set. But, you know, there's no Planeswalkers in Lord of the Rings. But I guess they'll find a way around that. I think it would be weird for them to, like, make Gandalf a Planeswalker. Because that's just not what he is in the lore. What if what if just, like, Chandra's chilling in, in the Lord of the Rings set? Well, just yeah, like, we had to get there Clearly somehow. doesn't belong. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Oko. It's just Oko. Yeah, Oko is a shapeshifter. Oko, could be right, exactly. Like Oko could kind of fit in. Just d- turning, turning the riders of Rohan into elks left and right. 
Maybe he'll do something else. No, that's the only thing he does. He's like a fancy Gideon in his Planeswalker decoration. <laughs> like he like turns into a copy of your one of your creatures and just goes brawling. That's true. Which feels like out of character for like the concept of the trickster <laughs> archetype. Yeah, it really does. But I mean, honestly, would prefer it over just making all of my permanents elks. So oh, there's that. Absolutely. From like a card design standpoint, from like a character standpoint, though, like it's probably the best trickster we've seen in all of magic. Except for that one week, Valky was the best card. Yeah, that's true. Oko will have like a much more long lasting, like resonating impact on like our understanding of magic, though. Yeah, it's still in vintage. And I guess it's actually pretty good there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, as far as I'm aware, it's still quite good in vintage. I always feel really bad when people are like, oh, I have all these Okos that arose now. I can't play them in any format. I guess I'll build a cube or something so I can play them. And internally, whenever someone says that, I'm like, no, do not put those cards in your cube. They're not fun. <laughs> right. No it's, one's going to like that. Like, pick one, like, vintage cube, Oko, let's go. <laughs> like, even that's not interesting. You just, like, power it out and then kill them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, not, not interesting, but it's, like, you're not going to pass it either. <laughs> well, that's, that's, like, the problem with Oko in cube, even in vintage cube. Like, the best cards in vintage cube are Soul Ring and Oko. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> and and the the problem isn't just the power level. Like, even if you do enjoy Vintage Cube, like, you're willing to forgive cards for having too high of a power level, but, you know, Oko removes fun from any game that he's good in, and that's a problem. <laughs> like, a, a much bigger problem than just being too strong. Like, he wrecks the game. Yeah, it's just so hard to really get through him in like a format where you don't even they don't even have that many answers to him. There's honestly not that many answers in the game to him, much less drafting answers to him. Right. Yeah, you, you're only going to end up with so many maelstrom pulses, which is way too slow. <laughs> Can't even kill all the elk with maelstrom pulse because they're named different cards. <laughs> I think that's pretty good for today. Either of you guys have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I think I'm good. Thanks for uh, having me on, guys. It was cool, like, virtually hanging out, even though you guys <laughs> live, like, 20 minutes away. I haven't seen you guys in, like, almost a year. <laughs> I know. It sucks, yeah. man. Chris Chris lives even further now. He went and bought a house. Yeah, even further. But... One benefit of that is that there is an outdoor area that I'm turning into an outside hangout area. So may be able to invite y'all over to watch a backyard movie or something like that safely. So would love that. that. Hopefully that's a plan for sooner rather than later. Yeah, hopefully um, vaccinations and everything happen sooner. I know. I'm yeah, definitely not on the top of the list but whenever i can get mine i will but i'm not gonna i'm gonna wait my turn and everything for sure well thanks everybody so much for listening thank you for your time we really really appreciate it if you'd like to find us on social media i am tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast lee is also on twitter 
I'm at Lee McLeo. Mike, where can people find you? I'm uh, at MikeB474 on Twitter. Uh, I carefully chosen Twitter name to easily hand out for public consumption. Yeah, the <laughs> classic stock Twitter name. <laughs> <laughs> Mike posts like deck lists and stuff. They're, it's nice when he posts on Twitter, so you, I usually respect it. Yeah, it's actually a more useful follow than me, probably, where I just complain about things. As long as you want to play Magic, at least. Yeah. It's, it's a very Magic Twitter. I did post a good Monored sideboard guide the other week. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, that's that's worth it alone. If you want to play Monored and start off with a decent sideboard guide, that's relatively current. Thank you, everybody, so much for your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Other than that, that's really it for us. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.